Entrepreneurship is like a bug that once you catch, you can't get rid of and have to live with. Says Mutembe Karaoke, CEO and co-founder of Factaga. In this engaging episode, he shares his entrepreneurship background and his transition to tech, whose foundation was laid by his father. He also heartily shares his challenges and success stories. Fastaga is an AI and machine learning service platform that provides data management and algorithms to AI-driven companies. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Chini Magic Podcast. It's your host, Mark Karaki. Super excited to have an awesome guest, uh, local founder on the podcast today, Mr. Mutembe Karaoke. Actually, Mutembe, it's interesting because... Those are Mutembe and Karaoke actually different ethnic names. So I was a bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I love it whenever I, I, I get into into Uber rides and um, the driver talks to me in a different language all the time. So it's always really cool. Just being very Kenyan. So everywhere it's a name that's all over the country. So that's good. Fantastic. But um thanks for being on the podcast. You're the founder and CEO of Fast Tagger, right? And yes. maybe you will tell us. I know you guys are in the AI space. You can tell us a little bit more about what Fastaga is. What, what do you guys do? Um, it's a pleasure being on, on the podcast. I always really admire it. So Fastaga, uh, we are an AI, machine learning as a service platform. We are focused on democratizing artificial intelligence. And how we do that is we work with creating labeled data sets, especially for in the African context. We know there's a big gap in labeled data sets which are the bedrock of um, doing machine learning and other AI projects. And so we create these labeled data sets. We help companies to, to create them and then manage their whole AI project. So we also develop algorithms and we come up with um, generic algorithms that different industries can connect to via API. And we're looking at sectors such as health, such as agriculture, we're looking at also the fintech space, um, natural language processing, and we really want, you know, Africa to make the most use of artificial intelligence. All right. Okay. Fantastic. And we'll dive into some of the details around how you guys solve these problems or um, your value proposition and how you guys are, and some of the projects you work on as, as we continue. But I'm always curious about is how people ended up where they are in terms of being an entrepreneur. And I, and I think the best place to always start is, you know, somebody's background, like where did you, where did you grow up and what, where did you go to school so that people can have a sense of who you are and can connect with that. So I guess those two questions. So where did you grow up and where did you go to high school and university? I'm Kenyan, born and bred. Grew up in a small, very urban area just outside of Nairobi called Gashie. If you're a kid of the 90s, you know that that's where the most hardcore criminals in Nairobi came from. There were no girls and no so we were not really allowed to play outside our compound ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was an interesting, formative uh, childhood. Um, did my primary school here in Kenya, went to a small private school, then to Agakan Primary, and actually ended up you know, shifting into a new school and skipping a class. I only realized that when I was in high school. High school, I went to, I was lucky enough to go to Benalla School, better known as Changes. So that was an amazing experience because we had people from everywhere, you know, people who had herded goats in, you know, the northern frontier to, you know, people who had topped KCSE. So it was just a very interesting um, place to, to really meet other people and, and grow. Then, you know, university here in Kenya, I did economics at um, Catholic University and then uh, got an, uh, an opportunity to do information systems in, uh, in Japan for my master's. I, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship through the ja Japanese uh, International Cooperation Agency, um, JICA. 
you know, a lot of my inspiration comes from connecting to my, my dad. You know, he's a science mind. And when, when we were kids, I think in the 90s, when Windows was always updating quite a lot and, and, machine, and the computers were coming up, you know, being changed a lot. A lot of companies, after a year or something, they just throw out computers. And so my dad, you know, was interested in us getting in, into computers. And so he would bring home some of his computers from people he knew, you know, at companies that were letting the, the computers go. And so one of these computers actually had an old AI chatbot called Eliza, which was the far, one of the first ever developed about the 1970s. And I remember I just used to work with it all the time. And that got me interested in tech. But I think for entrepreneurship, it was my first encounter with making money when we started an entrepreneurship project in, in high school, the junior achievement, selling fries in school. And it was just so good making money, especially when you're in high school and there's no pocket money. And just that ability like, to create a value, uh, sell something, make money, just really got me to understand entrepreneurship to, to some extent. And then now I decided to connect it also with tech. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so, you know, you mentioned how going to high school was such a formative experience. One of the things I've kind of realized is it's, it's very true in our culture here in Kenya. High school is such a formative time in terms of it almost in a very real sense opens up doors for you. Uh, while in the States, in my experience there, university was the thing, right? So high school was just this thing that people do in the US and they just get through it mostly. But university and college is where they now kind of has a, a, a disproportionate impact in, in who they become and the opportunities they can access and their exposure and so on and so forth. But it's I, I kind of sense that in, in Kenya, there's this, a high school is a big transition or has a, has a has a more of an impact in who we become potentially yeah. than in, in, in other countries, I would, I would imagine, just yeah. benchmarking with the US. So, mm-hmm. you know, the way you talk about seeing people from all walks of life yeah. and how that kind of changes you based on, you know, you, you grew up in one neighborhood, now you're exposed to, to a whole new world. So yeah. that's just fascinating. But yeah, so how did you end up, so from selling fries in high school, right? <laughs> and, and then you, you, you also have a very unique kind of experience you've done the full uh, education thing up to your master's degree right so that generally speaking is where people i would say once people go down that path of higher education past a certain point edu- entrepreneurship tends to kind of veer in the other direction right they get farther and farther yeah. from you know yeah. because they are more embedded in a certain kind of career path or uh, a domain how do you move from master's degree to becoming an entrepreneur right like what was that like what is there some can you help us unpack that kidogo um i think it's just also uh, the story of my life being a bit different and well uh, i still get a lot of you know people in family like asking me okay when are you doing your phd as well so <laughs> if for them i haven't finished you haven't, you haven't finished you gotta finish <laughs> i haven't finished the journey yet uh, but i think it's also like the story of like how I think I've ended up doing things a bit differently because always jumping into opportunities which were actually outside academia. I mean, if we were to be honest, like I almost didn't finish high school and I almost didn't finish undergrad, actually. The the reason is, so when I was in, um, in, in high school, I really got involved in UN work. So at that particular time, there was a lot of work being done around children's rights and, and human rights. Um, it just had been 10 years putting an age to myself, but this was 
it had been 10 years since the ratification of the UN Charter on the Rights of the Child. So before that, nobody used to care whether kids are in, in, in mines and, and, and all this. And so it happened to be that time in high school. And, you know, I, I'm known to talk quite a lot. And so I was on, in all these clubs where we talk a lot and, 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 and debate. And I got really into the whole children's rights and human rights movement. And I got opportunities to travel. So I got opportunities to represent the country in, you know, at the OAU, what the AU was then in, in Cairo. And I met all these people from across the continent. And it just got me thinking very differently because in high school, you know, you remember in social embodies was all you were thinking about was the next funky, you know, when you're going to meet some girls or, you know, your grade, right? Yeah. That, that was the main thing that people were thinking about. Yeah. And, but, but I think that time it really changed things for me because I met all these young people. One of my roommates um, at that time was, a, I think he was 12 or 11. He was a, he was a former child soldier from, uh, I believe it was from um, Sierra Leone or Liberia. And, you know, I remember walking with him, you know, in, in Cairo to a conference center and one of the po policemen, you know, was, was, you know, trying to, you know, manage the crowd and, and sort of stopped us. And these kids, you know, laughed and said, hey, you know, I can take that gun, disassemble it and put it back together in, in, in a minute. And I'm like, wow, this is my roommate. And yeah. he's living a completely different life from the one I'm living in. Like right. I'm, I'm now in good school back home. Those things, you know, meeting, you know, girls who had been, you know, sex slaves in northern Uganda. You know, I just saw a, a very different uh, world. And then I got an opportunity to, to, to represent also at the General Assembly in New York. And there, you know, people at the General Assembly are people like Bill Gates, Nelson Mandela, Kofi Annan. And you see how the power of, of big corporation, tech corporations at that time were funding so much. I mean, I think that's around the time Bill and Melinda Gates was getting big and was funding a lot of programs for, for children around the world. And it just got me to start thinking a bit different. Yes, I saw how important education and knowledge was, but I saw, I felt like there's a different path I could take. And, you know, I, initially, before that, all I wanted to do was to become like a techie, like computer scientist or astrophysicist, sustain the lab, because I was really, really geeky and nerdy. I think I still am, uh, as I'm always told. But then I saw a very different world and problems and people need to create solutions for that. And so I was now a bit confused and figuring out how could I do this? So eventually coming back home, um, ending up in, I just barely made it to uni. And now while I was there, I got into an organization called ISEC. And now this one was completely the one that, you know, changed my direction in terms of um, things I was doing. Because this was an organization formed right after the Second World War. So there's all the stories on, you know, the worst atrocities that we've ever done as human beings. And then, but the interesting thing about ISEC, it was mixing business and impact. Right, because the idea was, you know, what the vision of the organization is peace and fulfillment of humankind's potential. And you have all these young people in university looking for professional like um, lives and connecting with each other internationally. So we'd be there going to different companies, um, selling products, which is, you know, exchange, um, what we call it that, where you bring an intern into the country. And then I ended up seeing like businesses, you know, you're working with Microsoft to deliver a project, you're working with um, EABL to de de deliver a project and just talk about all this world changing conversations and business. And so now that completely changed the way I look at things. And I ended up taking eight years or nine years to finish school because of those experiences. 
uh, but it was amazing. It's actually one of the reasons that even I got my scholarship to to do my masters. Cool. So, but it's it's not been easy, right? I think um, the idea of like you you get a masters, I come back home, I get a relatively um, okay job. Now, as in Kenya, is especially if you're a fastball, okay. Now, good. They're like, uh, we've secured someone who can make money. There's like, more income uh, coming into the family. <laughs> yeah. They will now take care of the family. And I remember when the day I, so I, 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 so I resigned from my, my, my previous, my, my job uh, to do this particular startup. I remember my, Was it the startup or was that a previous one? Okay, so I, <laughs> I resigned before. Mm-hmm. I was coming back from Japan after getting my master's. I got a job. And after a couple of months, I was like, no, no, no. I went to the IHUB. We pitched uh, at a startup competition. We got like third place. We're like, yes, okay, validation. Let's do a startup. We're going to make money. So I quit that job. And yeah, even at that time, my, my, my folks were like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Right? But I was like, yeah, no, I, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'd spend like nights at the hackathon with like my dev guys. Then... Kenya ended up having two elections and there's no money, there's no there's nothing going on. All the everyone has left the country and everybody's afraid of a repeat of this was 2017, so everybody was now afraid of a repeat of right. 2007. Right. Especially now you had disputed elections and nullified elections. And so most investors, everybody just disappeared like right. from the country. And, and what were you working on at that time? What was it? That time it was um uh, it, was, it was still in data. It was a platform to connect clean tech companies to the consumer. So what we were doing is we had um, on the back end, we had um, a, chat, a chatbot which connects to USSD. And then people can inquire about clean tech technologies such as clean cook stoves and stuff. So we'd go probably to churches and get people interested. And they say, hey, you can just query this USSD. And then we build profiles of people at the locations of where they are. Because that was one big challenge for the clean tech companies in finding their customer. Mm. Right? They'd spent so many, so uh, so much money and investment um, for food soldiers going out to look for people. But in this way, we could actually collect the data for them um, in cool. a really easy way and also educate people. And where did so, they come yeah, from for that one? Where where was the insight? Where did that come from? Um, so the, the hackathon we were part of was. Uh, was I think Oracle, iHub, and the Kenya Climate Innovation Center. One of the insights was because I had spent a year a year in India working in the social impact space, and I, you know, there I'd seen so many amazing innovations in the social innovation space, especially in clean tech. I'd worked um, engaged with clean cookstove companies with. Um, um, companies like Husk Power, which was making you know power out of rice husk, and engaged with solar lantern companies uh, like Delight and, and others. And so, you know, I was like, okay, you know, how can we use tech for this? And my co-founders were, you know, people who worked with chatbots and done tech, and we were looking at, okay, mobile is what's really pro- proliferating, you know, um, the, the space. And so we sort of brought these ideas and these experiences that we had had um, together. Uh, and and also connected to the theme of the hackathon um, on um, on climate change. So how how are we going to impact climate change? And so that's all I think I don't know the research. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the election kind of put paid to that, right? The 2017 wow. kind of double election experience made it impossible to continue, right? Yeah, I mean, well, it was that plus also, you know, also for us, you know, our first startup, uh, trying to figure things out. Um, you know, you learn a lot about, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. 
about leadership and yourself, but definitely that one. I mean, at the beginning, we've started, we're like, yeah, we've gone, we've had meetings with, you know, companies, with investors and stuff. And they're like, yo, you guys, you built, you're building the Uber for clean tech, man. As in, this is amazing. You know, they are really, you know, the funny thing is that the impact investors were pumping us more than even we thought we had in Cuba. We're being incubated at the Climate Innovation Center. So we're oh, being wow. So you had a bunch yes. of fans, which got you feeling yeah. really good and the, the possibilities being like really real. Yeah. You know, you're being told, oh, if you hit these milestones, there's money, there's, you know, the Danish government, all these guys are putting money. And, and, and so if you guys just hit your milestones, I think things are going to work. And then, you know, everybody gets starts getting jittery towards elections. I think mm-hmm. it was August was the elections. Mm-hmm. So then... Uh, people start saying, you know what? Eh? Let's let's just ch- wait a bit and then let's meet after elections. Yeah, we'll just let's let this stuff go and then let's meet again. Right. Okay, then we're like, okay, cool. So as we just still continue doing our thing, right. and then elections come and then it's disputed and then in everybody's mind is 2007 again. Right, right. So that was a very disruptive time for you guys. So I mean, uh, and it's hard to to kind of hindsight is 2020, but you know, there's no way to know if there were no elections, if that thing could have been yeah. gone somewhere, right? But um, yeah. But then again, I guess so. After that, now you know, clearly things changed. Um, you guys had to shelve that project because there was no funding. Is that what happened? Yeah, and um, because my co-founders are all have always been amazing people. I'm all, I'm usually the one who just talks a lot, and other guy brings guys together and convinces them to do crazy things. And so, you know, one of them, he got a scholarship to MIT Media Lab. So he he, he took the opportunity. Another one got um, hired by the government. Uh, and, 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 but I think the, and so, you know, everybody went, you know, separate, making, ways. Yeah, mm. separate ways, making good money. And then I was like, okay, man, I also need to survive. Eh? Um, <laughs> I'm glad the family is looking for to get it. So, so then I, I wanted to stay in the tech space. So I, Found this opportunity with um, the German Development Corporation. I applied for it, and whoa, amazingly, uh, I got it. And um, it was also a really, really good opportunity. So, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not those people who sometimes I'm like, ah, you know what, um, you know, employment is just you know is, is boring, and like you know, let's all do entrepreneurship, because I think I think entrepreneurship is sometimes like a, a virus that you've gotten and you can't get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like a bug. You you can't get rid of it. But I also see how useful it is to have, you know, something stable like, you know, because there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's the tug of war, right? That um, especially in the world we live in right now, entrepreneurship has been overly glorified and all the great stories of the Elon Musk's of the world and and so on and so forth are the ones that actually, it's survivorship bias, right? So only the stories of, of... of success uh, are told, but the, you know, the reality is it's, it's quite, it's quite different. And the other thing too, in my, in my view, like you, it, it's, it's a very misunderstood thing because you don't build anything great without people who want to be part of that journey. Right. And you have to be able to provide them and yourself a steady income. So Absolutely. at the end of the day, it's, it's this, it's this, but it's this, um, I think it's highly misunderstood. The way I think about it is, it's about teams and it's about yeah. people playing different roles. Some people have, yeah. have, have a vision and I, uh, of, of how the world can change. 
But that's not going to happen if there are people who are not willing to come alongside that and be part of that story. So, and each one of those players is important, right? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I totally get that. So I guess maybe let's fast forward to now you're at the GIZ and then how did you, what was the, what possessed you again to kind of (laughs) go down the risky and certain route of, of, of entrepreneurship? What was the trigger point from GIZ to... Um, I actually think, you know, GIZ was a really, really good opportunity. It was amazing. It was like the people I met. It was um, launching a project called Make IT in Africa, which is a tech entrepreneurship project. So, you know, we did this in we, the two pilot countries were Kenya and Nigeria. Then we ended up, it ended up going to Rwanda, Tunisia, Ghana. So I go to travel, which is amazing. And then I think one of the trigger points, like for me, engaging with the different entrepreneurs and seeing what they are doing. We ran an acceleration program with, with Sam at NILAB, so conversations with him are always really amazing. Um, then just I, now it was an opportunity for me to get deeper into the Nairobi, um, the Kenya and the Africa ecosystem. And right. that started giving me thoughts of like, oh, wow, okay, what, what else can I do with, right. with the knowledge I have, right? And then... As well as I think one of the pivotal moments was when I think we went for one of these conferences called SEBIT in in Hanover in in Germany. And you're seeing all these European tech companies. And so over a period of about 10 or 15 years, this this place where it mainly used to be like European and American tech companies coming and shining was now Chinese tech companies coming in China, wow, right? right? And I'm like, wait, what? what's going on? Now I was thinking, okay, where, where's going to be Africa's turn, right? And, mm-hmm. and how many people need to take part in, in the evolution of the, of the African space? And so I think on the flight to back, I was just really, really thinking, you know, I still always have this, this virus still in me. It's, it's still there. Right. I, I've not been inoculated yet. And, uh, but, you know, I need to measure between the risk. And so... You know, I talked actually, you know, for me, it wasn't just a decision. I just jumped out. I was like, yeah, I really talked to my supervisors, my bosses. And I say, hey, you know, I think you know me by now. You know even how I work here. I don't work just like, you know, I've been given a nine to five. I'm, I'm usually crazy. And, and, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. And so they're like, okay, fine. Um, you give it some time. And, yeah, I, I always remembered that I was very passionate about data, about um, AI technology, even though I still see, like, for Africa, TVET is still a big opportunity, but I've, I've because also of, of um, the master's program I did, um, which was very connected to ICT for development, I was still very focused on that. And so those trigger moments were, were happening, those conversations with people like Sam, those, you know, ecosystem people like um, Esther and Betty, who's a very good friend, and, you know, encountering people like Paul Kimani at one of, like, the... the the, the, the accelerator, the conferences that we have been organizing. And so I think it just, they left me very unsettled with what I was... Um, with, you know, with your life choices up to that point. Yeah, with my life choices at that point. Although I was very fortunate, you know, I was able to take, you know, help family with start things and right. um, be pretty stable. But then I was like, okay, you know what? Um, I don't, you know, I, that time I, I prepared myself mentally with saying like, you know what? I'm, pre- I'm not preparing myself for glory per se, like, hey, you know, I'll become a unicorn in like a year or something like that. I'm like, I'm preparing myself for the, the suffering that comes with like doing a startup. startup. Although I wasn't, I wasn't really how much suffering usually comes. But, um, but then I said, you know what, let me take the chance. 
um, and see what comes out of it. Right. And it's been an amazing journey since then. This is about 20, this is 2019, because I left um, JZ 2019, February. Oh, wow. Um, mm. So it's been an amazing journey since then. Learned so much, coming also from the NGO to like very hardcore, talking to VCs and, you know, looking for angel investors. Mm-hmm. You know, things moving fast and then moving extremely slow mm. and COVID. Right. <laughs> who, who would have been? I was like, oh, I chose to become an entrepreneur when COVID was just around the corner. Uh, but it's been it, it, it's been exciting. I I, I would not um, go back on the decision to actually jump to, in. to get started. And so, have you guys been? So, how did you get started? Did you did you in terms of funding the project from February twenty nineteen? What have been the sources of funding for you? I mean, I, personal savings, uh, what, what, have, what has that been like? Yeah, so absolutely, you know, one of the things why I, I, I really was fortunate for <laughs> the German Development Corporation was like, okay, personal savings was number one. Um, two was, I, I became part of um, a program called Antler. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a VC, you know, company building program where we brought people together. And so there was a bit of a stipend we were given there while we were working there. So that helped me survive for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Then right after that, so we didn't get funding from 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 Antler, but a wealth of knowledge and experience. Uh, it's just like, I don't know how many years of an MBA, like in, in, in two and a half months. So that mm-hmm. was amazing. And... So after that, you know, just starting to talk to 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 advisors, mentors, and ending up getting you know uh, two angel investors. Um, one of them was right after I left JNZ, I got an opportunity to attend like an MIT um, entrepreneurship bootcamp for people who want to launch AI, IoT, and robotic startups in Tokyo. And one of the people I met there became one of our. Um, angels mm-hmm. and then you know so we we got some angels um, and that's what's helped us survive then in the middle of last year during covid we actually were able to make some revenue so that's also helped us so it's been pretty much bootstrapping from personal savings uh, angel angel funding and revenue uh, that's been pretty much it we've not been able to get like you know proper vc seed money uh, but you know taken part in accelerations that had a small grant here and there. Um, and that's what's, you know, brought us to where we are. Cool. Sounds good. Revenue is always good. That's exciting. Um, yeah. So really quickly, just describe the team that you're, 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 you're with and who, who your co-founders are. And then let's talk a little bit about your business model, right? Like those two things would be very interesting to kind of uh, learn about. Okay. So amazing people, as I said, I'm um, usually the guy who talks and convinces guys to do crazy stuff. <laughs> so my uh, our CEO, uh, one of my co-founders, she's called uh, Stephanie Jerenga. So, you know, very strong quant background, um, did actuarial science at University of Nairobi, then worked in consulting here in Kenya with Open Capital Advisors, was actually... Um, before that, in the team of one of the first sort of machine learning data science companies, that was um, MapriRoot back in the day as a data manager. She, she, she also had a passion from, for data. Um, then she briefly worked in India um, in the social enterprise space there, there and, in, and invest, sort of impact investing space there. 
then did her master's in um, in Spain at IE um, in big data and analytics. So she's really, really sharp. I defer to her with all finance and numbers stuff. And then my other co-founder um, is uh, Jude Mwenda. So we we go back quite a couple of years. And so he, he background in computer science, Strathmore Uni, then um, MIT Media Lab, and now his PhD at um, Georgia Tech. And so he's he's pretty much the, the tech um, at the end. So half the time in, in meetings, I'm usually the one who's, okay, asking them questions. Okay, so what should we do with this? I'm like, okay, I got these people who could be interested in like uh, doing something else. I got this client, so what should we do with them? Uh, so it's just amazing, like just learning from them. And yeah. Um, That's cool. You know, trying, trying, to, trying to create, because I think, you know, leadership for me has always been that one where it's, you're the person to create the best environment for the organization and the people to thrive. And so that's usually a, like the hardest task for me because I'm like, wow, this guy's way smarter than me. And I'm trying to figure out how to fast get enough money for them not to be poached by other guys um, and so to make our team, team work. Yeah. So amazing people. Yeah. That's fantastic. That sounds like a great team. Um, and how, 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 what's the size of the organization right now? So there's the three co-founders, and then we, we we're currently very lean, so we go by project by project. But we we've worked with about a hundred um, young people to do the the creation of training data, okay. and that we have a partnership also with uh, the Ajira platform from okay. the Ministry of ICT and Youth. And so we we do it like project by project. We work with we work with AI Kenya community. And we were able to get some really solid like um, project uh, managers for, for for whenever we have a project, um, yeah. And uh, we, we at the AI Kenya people like Alfred have been doing an amazing job with the community, and so uh, yeah. we, we just work together a lot with the community. And yeah, so I'd say we worked with about a hundred young people for for the projects that we've done. Yeah, cool. And, and uh, as we wrap up here, so revenue is always good. So how, what, what's your business model um, right now? Is it project-based where, you know, companies are looking to solve their yeah. uh, data tagging problem? You guys come in and kind of help them with that, help them execute yeah. against that? Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. So, so how we started off, um, our vision is to become like a, machine learning as a service, AI APIs, you know, that you can get your training data, you can build models and, and, and access them. Uh, so, but where we started was um, doing data labeling. And so we've built, we built a platform for doing the data labeling, um, but we can use the customer's tools as well. And so business model, you know, it's pretty much simple. Um, the company has the data, they send over the data to us, whether it's images, audio, um, whatever uh, format it is, and then they pay us, you know, per label or per hour. We've mostly been working per label, and then we, you know, get the work, organize it, work with the, the labelers. Um, they do the labeling, we pay them. So that's been the initial model. Now developing more of a platform where you know we create the label datasets, which we feel are, are, are very essential for the for, for the continent, and then. Um, organizations would, would uh, pay for access to these uh, data sets. And then when they want more specific data sets for their machine learning needs, then they would pay extra. And they, 
they could pay extra even for building the models, some generic models which have been pre-trained, and then for for, for making it um, part, uh, particular to their use case, now they pay more for that. Uh, and so that's now the vision of where we are, we are, we are going towards. Uh, and eventually, we'll actually have our own AI applications which we can sell to different industries, whether it's you know in the healthcare space, agriculture space, core field um, estimation models or uh, oncology models. Cool. Yeah. Basically, you're using your current engagements to train your own models that eventually you will license to people is that is that where this is going yeah so there's two parts there's the one where you're just doing exclusively for that person who doesn't really want to share all their data right so that 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 stays and then now creation of our own our own data sets which now those ones are the ones now we will give license to um to other organizations fantastic um awesome so you know I guess final question for you. So what does success look like for FastTagger? Like what, what are you guys, and I know in the AI startup space, it's still, is your IP going to be the algorithms? Is it a platform? Is it a combination of all those things? What, what do people buy and what does this actually look like when it's yeah. successful? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's an area where, in fact, for me, um, my biggest um, success factor is that we have—it's a bit, you know, big—but um, uh, we have a trillion-dollar technology company, research company coming out of out of the continent. That is, you know, that's 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 the thing for me because I look around the world and I see Asia has a trillion-dollar valuation company. The U.S. has a couple of them. Um, Europe has, Middle East has, um, Africa hasn't had for ever. Right, and the biggest part is that you know coming up with research-based, science-based um, companies that are doing deep tech. Um, that is that's not my biggest success thing. So that that a company that um, is building products that are deep tech uh, and that are being used around the world. So the products would be AI-based products in spaces such as healthcare. So if if you are talking about healthcare on the African continent, look at oncology. We, out of the 54 countries, only about 29 have any radiology in the countries, right? And they need to do a lot of contouring for radiology so you don't hit the, the major organs. That's applications in the air that can be used for that. Other applications in healthcare can be used for that. You're looking at um, crop yield estimation because of climate change. You look at products such as that. And so that is, for me, that is success. You know, having a company that can, is the one that instead, because I remember even during our masters um, in Japan, right? A lot of amazingly smart, I mean, I've always been in spaces where I'm like, how did I get here? Because I'm with crazy smart people. But having all these people from around the continent, some of the smartest people, and they are doing their PhDs in, you know, um, nanotechnology, in quantum, like the, the guys from South Africa doing quantum mechanics and quantum engineering they cannot practice it back home right so they end up just staying working for hitachi or for working for other japanese companies toyota and others and building products and building those trillion dollar companies so the idea for me as success is like being that company where we can build those products we can have those talents staying on the continent um it, it's not a direct just um, product uh, success vision for me but um, it's much bigger of just building a really solid um, deep tech company. That's amazing. That's, that's really important because the brain drain costs 
us a ton. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's really ambitious and very noble and exciting. Um, yeah, and I want to thank you for taking the time to to speak to us. I'm sure in a year, if we speak again, there'll be more to talk about because uh, you know, in the startup world, a year is like a is like a decade. <laughs> Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so thanks for taking the time to come and speak to us about Fastaga. I'm excited about what you guys are doing. And um, yeah, that's. uh... Well, thank you, thank you, Mark. Um, I think it's uh, it's it's always an honor. Um, I think we've met one once or twice in in in, um, in the past, and but I've always admired the work that you're doing. And you coming back, you know, it's always those sorts of people are telling you like, uh, "What are you doing going back?" Um, and, And. some presidents of uh, some places have called us certain countries, and <laughs> yeah, you that that's that's always um, an amazing story of someone actually moving back to creating um, impact. And so, uh, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, no, yeah. no thank you for 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 being here, and uh, we'll definitely revisit this uh, twelve months from now or sometime sometime in that order because I want to see what you guys. Uh, make happen. I'm a huge fan of, of you and, and your team and, and what you guys are doing. So yeah, 